0: So we're in our second week of this Heroes of the Faith series. And the idea was to go to the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, where there's a chapter that lists the heroes that people have called it the heroes of the faith. And they're just listed and, you know, by faith, by faith, by faith. And so we, what we want to do is want to learn about faith from these heroes of the faith. And each week, you know, as we look at these, each weekend as we look at these, we're going to learn a different component of faith. And we're going to look at each character, you know, we're going to go down through some different characters that are listed there. And so we're using Hebrews 11 kind of as a springboard to jump back into the Old Testament. And uh, last weekend we talked about uh, Cain and Abel, and Abel was listed. And we talked a little bit about that. And then this weekend we want to look at, uh, another person Enoch and Enoch is a very interesting person and not much is said about him but we're going to look at him and uh, so what we're doing is we're hoping to do a couple of things number one hopefully this fall your faith will grow you'll understand faith more it'll demystify what we have about faith, faith you know faith is like one of those words like love it's like I know it when I see it, but I really, it's hard to describe. It's, hard, it's like trying to nail jello to a wall. It really is hard to do it. And so, what we want to do is we want to give you some concrete examples of why these people and what, what it was that they had, why they had faith. And so, hopefully, it will help us not only grow in our knowledge of these people, but also grow in our faith. That's the point. So, to do that, we're going to turn in, uh, uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. They're very handy. And on page 926, you'll find Hebrews 11. And we're going to read uh, just one verse because that's all there is uh, for Enoch in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 5, page 926. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him for before he was taken up he was known as a person who pleased God some translations have uh will have in there he walked with God which is a euphemism for pleasing God um now it's interesting we're not really sure we're not really told what Enoch did other than he walked with God but what we, what is the interesting thing is what was done to him <laughs> that that's the part that Most people, when you hear of Enoch, you go, okay, what happened there? And so we're going to look at that. So now here's where we do the springboard. We jump out of Hebrews into the book of Genesis. And that's on page 6, and it's Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. And we're going to read about Enoch, okay, because there's a mystery about this guy. And it's going to take us a little bit of time to kind of unravel it and to try to draw some application. Uh, Genesis chapter five verse twenty one page six in the chair Bible. When Enoch was about sixty five years old, he became the father of Methuselah. Uh, Mesu- <laughs> <Methuseleth. laughs> and after the birth of, birth of Methuselah, I, I could pronounce it earlier, and I just I've got a brain freeze here. Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for over three hundred years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived three hundred sixty five years. Walking in close fellowship with God, then one day uh, he disappeared because God took him. Uh, by the way, the guy that I couldn't pronounce very well lived 969 years, Mephibosheth, uh, and he uh, is the 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 oldest recorded person in the Bible. Now you say, well, why do they live that long? Well. Uh, there's a lot of theories about that, and there's a lot of interesting answers for that, and I'm not going to talk about it. So uh, you can read somewhere else about that. But if you read the uh, more literal translation, like the English Standard Version, it says in verse 24 of Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. <laughs> what? What do you mean, he was not? Here's, here's a few of my initial thoughts about Enoch. Okay. Um, now, um, in uh, Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, we have genealogies. Now, when you think of genealogies, you think of uh, Ancestry.com or some other organization. You say, uh, I want to trace my ancest- ancestral tree back. Now, I guess you can use DNA and... Apparently, German people find out they're Scottish and, you know, all this other stuff happens. But um, so we're real precise. You know, uh, this was my father and my grandfather and my and so on. When you think of genealogies in the Bible, don't think that way because they're not using genealogies that way in the Bible. Genealogies are literary devices because what they're doing is they're trying to make a point. And I want to show you that real quick, because it has something really important to say about Enoch. All right. So in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5, you have two parallel genealogies. You have the genealogy of Cain. We talked about Cain and Abel last week. Cain was the older brother who murdered his younger brother Abel. After Abel was murdered, Adam and Eve had another child, and his name was Seth. Okay, so what we're seeing in Genesis chapter 4 is the genealogy of Cain, all right? In Genesis chapter 5, we're seeing the genealogy of Seth, okay? So they're two different genealogies. Even though there's an Enoch in both of the genealogies, they're different people, okay? So the seventh generation of Adam's line through Cain lands on this character called Lamech. Now Lamech is a bad dude. He's a violent dude. He's not a good guy. And it's it's basically what the writer is doing. And by the way, numbers are really symbolic in the Bible. And so seven, you know, it's the number of you know perfection. Essentially, what seven means here, though, what the writer is doing is he's putting Lamech as seven. And what he's saying is really think of it as he's pointing a bullseye or an arrow right at that person in other words he's saying here's Cain's line and here's Lamech who characterizes Cain he's not a good guy he's not moving towards God his heart isn't soft towards God at all okay that's what he's saying now when you see the birth of Seth you'll read about it you can read about it in the book of Genesis Seth is somebody who very early on you see his heart is warm towards God Guess who the seventh descendant through Adam on Seth's side is? Enoch. That's the point. The writers between these two genealogies are trying to show, here's, here's this guy Lamech who is kind of bad and he's not a good person and he, he's kind of a braggart and he, he, you know, he just, he's pretty violent. And on the Seth side, this is the Cain side, on the Seth side you have this Enoch guy who walks with God. So that's the point that the writers trying to show in these genealogies. Yes, there are descendants, but they're not concerned if they miss one or two in between. And you'll see that in the genealogies of Jesus in the Gospels. They're not doing that. They're trying to make a point. They're making a point for what the, what the writers want us to see is something went wrong in the line of Cain. And and you see it kind of played out when you see this guy, Lamech. You see his bragging. You can read about it. Something went right when you see the line of Seth. Because we see Enoch, who walked with God. Now, we have to understand what the writer's not saying. He's not saying that anybody in Cain's line, you know, Adam through Cain to Lamech, anybody in that line is absolutely totally corrupt that's not what they're saying but they're saying generally speaking this is not a good line it's not moving towards god generally speaking. and on the other side the seth line through adam is not saying everybody walked with god and loved god and no that's not what it's saying but it's saying generally speaking this is a line his descendants were more in tune with god than the other uh, line that's essentially what he's trying to say But you can't really, if you just read through it, you go, uh, I don't, you know, I didn't pick that up. Well, you wouldn't because you have to know a little bit about how the genealogies are being used and the seven and all these different things like that. But now you can see it. So now you see the boast of Lamech who's saying, look at how good I am. And and you see see Enoch again, kind of like last week, where Abel never uttered a word. Enoch never says a word. (laughs) But he... He's walking with God, and one day he is no more. <laughs> he like just disappears, and uh, so 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 it's it's quite a, a, a remarkable thing. So that's the first thing about the genealogy. Secondly, you're never too old to begin to walk with God. Notice this: Enoch had lived. Notice he's 65 years old. Now you say, well, they lived a long time, so that's not really old. You know what are we saying now? The you know, 40s and you know. Forties and twenty, or you know, all, we're doing making all these ridiculous claims. Though our health tends to be getting better, uh, when you're sixty-five in that day, you are not very old. Uh, but sixty-five is sixty-five, and he he fathered a son. And here's the thing that we see: getting old doesn't mean you stop growing and learning. Can I just say that one more time? Growing old doesn't mean you stop learning. And by the way, students, if you're a college student, well, welcome. If you're a student and you think, I'm going to be done with school because I'm not going to college when I graduate from high school, that's too bad. That's too bad that you're going to stop learning. Um, if you are a college student and you're saying, I just can't wait. I'm a sophomore. I'm a junior. One more year and then I'm done. I'm done with school. I'm done learning. Well, I hope not. I hope not. Because, you know, you never stop growing as a person, hopefully. And uh, one of the best moments that I ever have as a pastor is when I see an older person. Now, you know, I have to qualify that now because. (laughs) But when I see an older person who's lived quite a while and God comes into their life and into their heart. And they become young again. Their mindset becomes young. Their perspective becomes young. They just have a spring in their step. Now, there, there's, there, when, when God takes residence, when the gospel takes residence in their heart, um, everything changes. And it's fun to see older people, when God gets a hold of their heart, and he begins to open their, their minds, and he begins to open their, their hearts, and, and they begin to be a different person. That is remarkable, and it's fun to watch. I enjoy watching that. And I want to just ask you a question. Are you open to the gospel, or are you closed-minded? Are you at a place in your life you say, I've learned everything I need to learn. There's nothing else, and there's nothing new under the sun. I've learned it all. You know, shame on you. Hopefully you you, you say, there's more for me to learn. That, that as long as I have a pulse, as long as I have a breath, there's something for me to learn. There's there's ways for me to grow. There's things for that God has for me to do. So notice, he's 65 years old, and he, and he becomes a, a father. And the second thing we see is, and that's along these lines too, the birth of a child has the potential to begin a walk with God. Because it says after he had this child, after he had this child, Enoch, uh, with the, after the birth of Enoch, uh, Methuselah, uh, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God, God for another 300 years. The, the interesting thing is, it seems as though what happened to Enoch was after this birth, there was a kind of this turn of his heart. It seems like that's what the text is saying. And you know, as you're, if you're a parent, you've, you've probably experienced that. You know, it's one thing to be married. It's one thing to be married. It's another thing to have a child. I have seen this so many times. I've seen young couples walk in and, uh, you know, we'll start a conversation. We'll just start talking about their lives and say, well, what brings you to church? You know, because well, you know, they haven't been for a while. And they say, well, we have a child now. Like, okay, talk to me a little bit more about that. And they say, well, you know, before it was just us. But now we're on the hook for this little one. And we're responsible for their physical health their emotional health, their psychological health, and their spiritual health and we don't know what to do. <laughs> can you help us? We go, "Yeah, we think we can we think we can help you with, as a parent." But but that's true, isn't it? Isn't it true that when you have a child you go, "It just got real, man. I'm responsible for this little child and it's not just for their physical well-being." But I'm a, well, I'm I'm responsible for their spiritual nurture, and as a parent, I don't feel equipped to do it. Sometimes that'll turn a heart, and that people get real when that happens. The third observation I want to make is this: walking with God is the only way to really live to your full potential. You know, I don't. You know some people make their career their life some people make relationships their life their family Some people make their hobbies their their life But I just want to tell you that only when you walk with God only will you find your full potential when you walk with God You you can't because the Bible says that God created us in his image the Bible says that once we come to know him he begins to make us into the beautiful creation that he designed us to be. And we can't reach that potential until we give our lives to our creator. But when we give our lives to our creator, and if we, as we allow him to mold us and make us, we become all that God intends us to be. And by the way, whatever your intention is, it's much lower than what God's. God has great plans for your life. Incredible, unbelievable plans for your life. If you'll let him. And and that's really where the rub comes in, isn't it? Um, It says Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. Now what is amazing, as I was reading through this passage and I was studying it, I was thinking about it, I was thinking, this is kind of amazing. Because after all, we have Adam and Eve. Disobeying God, eating from the tree, right? And what does God do? He expels them from the garden. He puts guards, you know, angel guards at the gates so they can't come back in, right? What's the next thing that happens? Well, Cain murders Abel. And God says, "Now you're going to get out of my presence, you know, get away from me." <laughs> and 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 but the, the amazing thing is that, that that somehow or another, men are still able to walk with God you think God would have given up. You know, this is a mess. But he doesn't. He's still walking. And that's what's amazing, that God is still walking with anyone. Enoch found a way to walk with God. He lived in close fellowship with God. Now, the question we want to draw from is this. How did he do it? What did he do? What does it mean to walk with God? That's what we want to answer. We want to spend the rest of our time with what does it mean to walk with God, right? Uh, the Bible says that can two walk together unless they be agreed, and the answer is of course not. You can't. You've got to. You've got to. You've got to agree on a pace. You've got to agree on a destination. You got to agree on a lot of things. And so, um, but what is walking with God? Walking with God is fundamental to being a Christian. Some people say, "Well, that's for the superstars." I'm not a superstar. I'm just an ordinary Joe. Um, let me just say this. There, there, this is not for the superstars. There are, is no gold club membership. There's no inner ring. God wants to walk with you today. God wants to walk with you today. And you don't have to have a gold card. You don't have to have special membership. God wants to walk with you today. Now here's where we get it mixed up. We think Christianity is, uh, we think Christianity is, is having a general belief about God. That's what it is about. Um, so if I have these right beliefs about God then I'm okay with God or some people say no Christianity is is being generally good a, a good and moral person if I live a good moral life that's what it means to be a Christian we have a lot of people in our community that believe that we have a lot of people in America that believe that and now that's true Christians should live a good and moral life but that's not the essence of Christianity that's a, that that's a that's a fruit of Christianity, that we live good and moral lives. Um, a fruit of uh, Christianity is that we have correct beliefs, hopefully. But Christianity is all about walking with God, having close fellowship with God. That's what Christianity is. You see, the one thing that God wants is, yes, he wants you to have the right beliefs about him. He wants you, you know, my grandson's here this weekend. And um, he doesn't have any theology. At all. Like none. He hasn't. He's a little over one year old. And he hasn't said anything to me about theology proper, Christi- Christology, soteriology. He hasn't said a word about eschatology, ecclesiology. He hasn't said a word about any of that. But you know what? He can hold my hand and walk with me. He can look up and smile at me and I can look down and smile at him. We can walk together. So, you know, having a general belief in, about God or having the right beliefs about God is, is important. But you know what? The most important, because you may be here and you say, you know what? I don't know much. In fact, those words you just said, those theological, I have no idea what you're talking about. Good for you. Because that's not important. What is important is that you have a desire to walk with God. That's what God wants. And, you know, the the, the, the thing is, we've created a mentality that... The great Christians are the ones that have all their theology and all their beliefs about God, all their ducks in a row. And and I just want to tell you, some of those people I've I've met and I've talked with, you have too. And I don't think they walk with God. I think they talk about God. But I don't think they walk with God. See, Christianity is all about walking with God, having close fellowship with God. Secondly, walking with God means that we're reconciled to Him. Now, we use this word walk, and it is more than a physical activity. It's referring to be in partnership, that the hostilities are gone. And like I said, in Amos 3.3, 3, it says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? If two people are fighting with each other, if they're at war with one another, I wouldn't expect that they would say, hey, let's go for a walk. They may say, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to be near you. I don't, want, I don't even want to see your face. Now, here's the point. Whether you are aware of it or not, you are at war with God from birth. We all are. We are all at war with God from birth. You'll never understand what walking with God is unless you first understand that you were born at war with God. You weren't born at peace with God. You were born at war. There's a separation between you and God. When Adam and Eve destroyed, uh, disobeyed God and rebelliously ate from the tree, he restricted from them, the tree said, you can eat from everything except that. He restricted one thing. When they ate from that tree, they began a war. They began a war for the whole human race. They rebelled, and the Bible says we rebelled with them. You say, wait a minute. God gave them clear a clear choice to serve in the garden or rule in the wilderness. He says, you can either serve me in the garden or you can rule for yourself in the wilderness. And they chose the latter. They chose to rule in the wilderness. They chose to rebellion with God and God cast them out of the garden. And we're all dealing with their decision. Now, you might say, wait a minute. That's not fair. I wasn't there. It's not fair that I'm being punished for their actions, for their behavior, for their rebellion. Why am I being punished for their behavior? For two reasons. There's two reasons why you're under the penalty for their actions. Here's, here's what they are. Number one, they are our representatives. Do you remember when uh, David went out against Goliath? Do you remember what was going on there? So, uh, every day, Goliath would come down into the valley, and he would challenge Israel. And so he said, come on, send somebody out. Let's fight. And the idea that was there was that whoever won the fight, whoever won the battle between these two warriors, won the war. So, everybody didn't have to die. Just one person had to die. It was actually a pretty good plan. So, So, in a sense, David... Said, let me go to be the representative for the nation of Israel. So the, Saul tried to give him his armor and all that. You remember David went down with his little slingshot and put, put it right between the eyes and Goliath. Goliath went down and, you know, the route began. The point I want you to see is this. David, David's victory was Israel's victory. In the same way, if David had if Goliath, he died. It was the death of, uh, of, 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 of his troops. So, they are our representatives. Um, And this is true in real life, isn't it? Um, for, For good or bad, as a parent, you make decisions for your children. Right? Some good, hopefully most, and some not so good. And your kids will either blossom and be blessed, or they will suffer. And some of you would say, I've made some bad choices and have hurt my children. They are the, you know, they're struggling because of decisions I made. And they had no vote in it. You made the decision for them. So this is a very true principle that that still handles today. So that's the first thing. You could say, well, I wasn't there. Well, they were our representatives. Secondly, you would have done the same thing. Maybe quicker. You you think you would have obeyed God, but you would have failed just like them. Now, how do I know this? How are you doing walking with God? How are you doing with obeying God today? How did you do the last, this last week, this last month, this last year? How are you doing, how's it going right now in obedience to God right now? The, now, I'm not asking you for these, these things out there that you don't know. I'm just asking for the basic things that you know God either wants you to do something or not do something. How are you doing? And I would just say if you fail once in the garden, you would have failed. So can we acknowledge that we're in trouble that our relation, with our relationship with God, that it is broken, that we're at war with him? Here's the point I want you to see. We sin because we are sinners. We are natural born sinners. That little baby that you love and pick up in the hospital within less than a year, they will learn that word no. (coughs) They will learn to disobey. It almost comes naturally. How is that and how is obedience so hard? Well, that's it. And, and all, everything that I've just said about them being our representative and all that, that's basically Paul's argument from Romans uh, chapter 5. He basically says we're under the curse of Adam because they sinned and we fell and now we're suffering the consequences and we're all born in rebellion at war with God. That's what he's saying. So people who are at war with God cannot walk with God. And until you acknowledge that you're at war with God, that you things aren't going well with you and God, then until you come to that place, you can't find peace. Because you don't think you need it. you know how many people are going to church this weekend? And they're going to church with the idea that if I go to church, this will appease God. He'll feel better about me. I'll have some leverage with Him. He'll owe me. What are they doing? They're saying, I know. I, I don't think I'm right with Him. I hope I'm right with Him. But maybe this will help. It's like taking him a little apple pie. Here, God, I'm at church. Here's a little apple pie for you. Hopefully you'll like it and you'll you'll not be at war with me anymore. There's a lot of people who think that works. Well, how do we get back to God? Well, we can't work ourselves back to God into God's good favor. Many are working very hard. They're trying to Follow the law, follow the rules, whatever church they go to. They're trying to get into God's good graces. They go to church. They believe in him. They give their money, their time. They serve serve with their their resources. They seek to do more than those around them. They say, well, maybe God grades on a curve. If he grades on a curve, we're in good shape, hopefully. Because I go to church every week. Most other people go to church every two weeks. Check, right? Secondly, Jesus provided the only way back to God. That's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Right? Isn't that what he said? See, God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of his presence. He placed armed angels at the guard uh, to guard the gates of the garden. Adam and Eve. Abel, Enoch, Abraham didn't know how God was going to provide a way back in. They just knew that somehow or another, God was going to provide a way. They didn't understand how. They didn't understand how. Now, there's a phrase that's used. Remember the genealogies I talked about in chapter 5? There's a phrase that's used over and over. It's interesting. It says, and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And, well, of course he died. Why do you, why do you keep saying that? Nine times in chapter five, it uses that phrase, and then, they, and then he died, and then he died, and then he died. And in dramatic contrast, Enoch breaks the mold. It doesn't say that about Enoch. It says it about everybody else in the chapter. But when it comes to Enoch, it says, and he was no more. He was no more. That's the point. The writer wants you to see there's something going on here with Enoch. And it's interesting to me that he found a way into the genealogy of Jesus. If you look at the genealogy of Jesus in in the Gospels, Lamech. The son of uh, Methuselah, and Methuselah was the son of Enoch. So it's tracing the genealogy back through the line of Seth. It's very interesting because you see Enoch in the the genealogy of Jesus. Again, genealogies weren't meant to get, say, okay, who is your grandfather, and don't skip anybody. You know, put it perfect, and that's not the point. The point is they're trying to show something significant there. He's in that. Here's the point I want you to see. God sent his son, Jesus, to bring us back. Jesus paid the price. He reconciled us to God. He became our offering. He took our punishment. He paid our price. Paul put it this way. So, would you, if you would, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't have the page number. Uh, chapter 5, verse 19. And I want to read this passage. Three verses, three verses here. 2 Corinthians five nineteen. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, do you see what, what, what he's saying? Somehow God, the Father, used his son Jesus, Christ, to reconcile. That means, reconciliation means there's two parties that are at war. There's tension, there's trouble, there's problems. There's broken relationships. And he's saying somehow God used his son Jesus to bring two warring parties together. Okay no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, notice here's how he did it, who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So somehow, Jesus can make us right with God. Okay? Well, how do you do this? How do you apply this good news to your own war with God? Let me give you three steps. Number one, as I said before, you have to admit you've been at war with God. If you never come to the place to admit, if you think you're okay with God and you, you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're fooling yourself. So you have to admit that you've been at war with God. Secondly, you have to acknowledge that God has a good reason to be war at war with you. You have to accept that you're guilty, that you're responsible, that He has every right as the creator of the universe to be at war with you. And then number three, <coughs> you ask Jesus to reconcile you with God. That's why Paul says, be reconciled to God. You can't do it on your own. You have to ask Jesus to reconcile. You bring you into peace with God. And that's why Paul says in Romans 5.1 this. There's, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, substitute reconciliation there, by what? Faith. We have what peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. How could it be any clearer? See, it's not what you are trying to do, or what you've done, or what you're going to do. It's what Jesus already did for you on the cross. And and when you, until you come to the places, I'm guilty. I'm. I'm responsible. Jesus, you're my only hope, like the thief on the cross. Jesus, remember me today because I'm dead. I don't, have a ch- uh, I don't have a chance without you. Here's what I want you to see. When you have peace with God, you can daily walk with God. And you get peace with God by calling upon Jesus and say, Jesus, would you reconcile me to the Father? Will, your, will you allow your sacrifice on the cross pay the price for my sins? My rebellion against God. And when you do that, you have a great opportunity to walk with God. Now, what does it mean to walk in peace with God? Here's some of the implications. And some of us struggle with this. Some of us, we've we heard this before, but we don't really apply it. Here's what it means. It means that my sins that used to separate me from God are gone, along with the guilt and the sentence some of you still feel guilty some of you still feel you are unworthy you know I mean if you say well I'm unworthy yeah absolutely that's the whole point of step one admit right but along with the guilt and the sentence I'm forgiven my death sentence wasn't just stayed It was served by Jesus for me. In other words, he's not saying, well, we're going to push this away. He's saying, no, it's paid. Jesus said, what were the last words that Jesus uttered from the cross? It is finished. We're not dealing with this anymore. Why are you letting the enemy come to you with old sins and old life and have you beaten down like a dog? Why don't you just put your head up and say, you know what? I am absolutely a sinner. I'll admit it. I'll take full responsibility for that. I am a sinner and I naturally rebel against God. But you know, the other part of it is, now that I've come to Christ, uh, come to God through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, I'm His son, I'm His daughter. And I can hold my head up. I am a flawed child of God. And that's okay. That's okay. My sentence no longer hangs over me. I can now live at peace with God. I can walk with Him. I can walk with God. Secondly, it means... That whatever the world throws at me, I'll be okay. Whatever the world throws at me, I'll be okay. Why? Because I'm at peace with the most important person in the universe. The most powerful person in the universe. I'm at peace with them. I'll be okay. Number three, it means that like Enoch, I can walk in the presence of God today. I'll have to wait till tomorrow. I'll have to wait until I die. I can walk with God today. In fact, Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am going to give you another comforter, someone just like me. He says to his disciples, but the promise is to us today those of us who have crossed the line by faith. He says not only, Jesus is basically saying to his disciples, I was with you, like we walked and like I was next to you and sitting across the ta- you know, around the table with you and, and, and we were, you were there when I was teaching, so we were together. We walked together. But this, this one that I'm going to send, this Holy Spirit, won't be with you. He will be within you. So you get to walk with God today. The presence of God dwells within you. We have more of an opportunity to walk with God today than Enoch ever had. So we can leave this place knowing that not only whatever war we're at is done, but we can walk in peace with God today. Let's do it. Let's walk with God today and tomorrow and this week. Let's do it. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, help us to learn from Enoch. Thank you for giving us reconciliation through your son, Jesus Christ, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall not only be saved, but forgiven. And now, Father, thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that we can walk with you tonight, tomorrow, next week, forever. We're so thankful for that. Help us to be cognizant (coughs) that we can walk with you. And, Father, thank you for Enoch Who's taught us one more thing about faith. May we apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.